Hello and welcome to the Pricing for the Planet podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of business and sustainability. So today I'm quite excited because we are talking about EV. And we all know that with electric vehicles, we have a big problem. It's the charging infrastructure. But what if I tell you that range anxiety is something that will never happen again because of what Alex created? Alex, do you want to give the listeners kind of like a spoiler? Sure. Uh, hi, Fagan. Thank you for having me. Uh, we are talking about off-grid charging infrastructure and namely fast charging infrastructure. So you can recharge your car 10 minutes, 200 kilometers, wherever you want and need it. So range anxiety is a thing of the past. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, by, by prepping this episode, I was kind of looking at the CO2 emission and transportation. It's 23% of the global CO2 emission. So if we can really tackle um, transportation CO2 related, that would be a big win. And when we think about cars and trucks and buses, that's most of those 23% uh, emission. So, you know, it's super excited. Uh, you know, can't wait to deep dive into this, this technology. So, Alexander, we have kind of a tradition in this podcast. We start from the end. So, what is the one key takeaway you would like our listeners to remember from today's podcast? So the main takeaway should be that the major bottleneck for us all to transition to e-mobility and all cleaner energy is our power grid. Because we started building the power grid 100 years ago, and 100 years ago, nobody thought about driving Teslas around. So there is a major invest we have to take as a society that is almost not bearable for current finances. And that's why we have to find creative new solutions, decentralized energy systems to be more flexible, economical and sustainable. And it's very funny you mentioned that if one day you are in Detroit, you can see a picture of Thomas Edison. He, he did a prototype of an electric car. But at the time, they disregard that because they were saying, you know, it's way cheaper to use, you know, fuel and tradition like combustion engine. Uh, so it's very funny. We are kind of like backtracking into time and we are going back to uh, to EV. So Alexander, maybe can you introduce yourself and share about your journey with Me Energy? Yeah, sure. So I'm Alex, 33 years old. I studied chemical engineering and also business at LSE. I during my studies, I always worked and I started at Bosch, which is a large automotive supplier. And um, I went to R&D for batteries and fuel cells. So back then, um, electric cars were really new. Just the first Teslas and BMWs on the market. And I went for a long test drive when I ran out of battery. And the usual thing you do is you go to fast charging station, right? Um, However, the problem was that this fast charging station, which was one of the few in 2015 uh, around, was broken. So there were no other uh, stations around. Uh, I didn't have enough battery left to find another one. So I had to ring on doors of the local population to ask them for a power plug. Um, and then a nice elderly couple let me in, gave me a cup of coffee, gave me their power plug. So I waited there for around eight hours to recharge my car to get back um, to the point where I started. And during that time, I had 
or during the wait, I had enough time to think about, okay, what is the actual problem of transitioning to EVs? And that is charging. And mostly that is fast charging for us to, that e-mobility is as convenient as conventional combustion mobility. And if you look at fast charging, the problem, as I just said, is it is the grid. It is not the, the charging stations. It is not the cars. It is mainly the grid that is not available in those places where we need it. And that's when we thought, okay, why not get rid of the grid when it comes to charging? And that's how we came up with the world's first grid-independent charging infrastructure that is not based on any infrastructure connection, but it is running on bio and waste-based fuels. So we're uh, generating the electricity on site um, with our patented generator system without any power line being laid or any groundworks. And that is a major game changer because in any mountain area where it's not sustainable or economical to build a charging station, you can now place one of our charges and have a really nice and smooth charging experience. Awesome. And, and it's super exciting because I like your approach to start from the problem that we have and, you know, finding solution. I had one question about, you know, the, the waste base and I think it's ethanol or like, uh, like, yes, it's ethanol. Like, ethanol. It's ethanol. Okay. Perfect. And do you have enough supply? So how is it working? Do you have like a membership to get the ethanol? Do you have kind of a, a partnership with a company producing the ethanol or? Yeah, it's not a privileged club. It's just ethanol and methanol, they're commodities. They're traded worldwide. And the good thing about them is, or I mean, ethanol is always pure, sustainable energy. And with methanol, you have to really, there are two different kinds. Um, but with ethanol, it's always either biomass or waste-based. Okay. The good thing is that these liquids today... Everybody knows them from disinfectant. Everybody who had a beer, uh, had wine, had has experience with ethanol because it's plain alcohol. Um, so they are around. But the majority or the largest use case for ethanol nowadays is blend in fuel for petrol. So over 90% of our current ethanol use is petrol. So it's 10%, 5%, 10%, or eight, even 85%, for example, in France um, as a blend for petrol. The good thing is that with the transition to electric cars, the, especially the demand in Europe will decrease. So there is an excess um, amount available because more and more cars to transition to EVs and using less petrol. So there, we're freeing up a lot of um, consumption and this is what we can take up. And just to give you also an idea, Germany, one of the largest economies or the largest economies in the EU with 45 million cars, if we only use 1% of the current ethanol production, we can power over 50 million kilometers in EVs because we're just much more efficient than using it as a blended fuel. That's amazing. Wow. Actually, I, I didn't know that. That's super interesting. So the only, so the only barrier is it's it's the cost to have this me energy uh, machine so, and that's it. And then it's very easy to get the supply of uh, ethanol, methanol, and you know you have your clients coming. So it's kind of the only way. So, um, so I just have to make clear: we don't want to substitute the power grid. We want to be in addition to the power grid. So mm. um, it's usually just easier uh, 
for our customers to go in a contract with us instead of having a year-long process of planning and investing. Um, however, so how we try to make it as easy as possible for our customer to say, okay, I have a charging need here. And we say, no worries, just give us a location and we'll manage anything else for you. So um, we are then also supplying the energy in the background. So since it's, it's a tank, it's, you have to refill regularly. We are all managing that process and we are then billing also the kilowatt hour and not the liter. So for our customers, using a Mi Energy Charger is the same as using a grid-bound charging infrastructure. So you're using the same systems, you can use your same payment cards, anything you know from regular EV driving, you find the same in our system. And, and perfect transition because that's what we like in this podcast, it's how do you monetize me energy? Because so it will be B2C, so it will be like people like you and me using the, the me energy machine, but then it will be what rented or, or, or purchased by B2B companies or cities or... Okay, so um, let's start from the beginning. Electromobility or public charging for e-mobility is not yet a business case. In the Nordic countries, yes, if you look to Norway, maybe even Netherlands, um, Sweden, there are locations where it is a business case, but rule of thumb is more than four charges per day you need for a break-even. And this is something you cannot guarantee in France, Germany, other European markets, because the, the density of electric cars is just too low out on the streets. So public charging isn't a market, and you can use our charging infrastructure for public charging, but that's not where the demand is coming from. The demand is coming from fleet charging. So companies transitioning their fleets to EVs, and because they can guarantee, if I have like 10 cars in my fleet and they're all electric and they need to charge every day, they have those four charges. So that's why we see the majority of the demand coming from fleets, from companies. So we currently have a B2B business model. The B2C business model becomes attractive in a few years. If you mm -hmm. talk to large corporations, oil majors, um, we hold contracts with, they like say 2028, 2030, that will be around the time where, where the infrastructure breaks even. But until then, we focus more on, on fleet charging. And then if you look at the fleet charging, um, who are the customers? It's parcel delivery. So the DPDs, the DHL, the GLS of that world. It is uh, freight companies um, running buses, OEMs um, in, in trucks. Um, that is that is who are our customers. And they um, have, or how is it then monetized? So we have two components um, or two models. One is the really classical model. So that are, you're used to uh, when you're buying or investing into charging infrastructure. That is, you can just buy a charging station and then you can get additional services from us. That okay. is um, energy supply as you would have with your utility company. So we bill you per kilowatt hour and then regular service and maintenance package. The more innovative uh, approach we're having here is because we, it is mobile for the first time, you don't need to buy your charging infrastructure because a charging station that is grid bound only has a value at its place where it's really dug into the ground. But with our system, you can rent or lease. Uh, there are more financial instruments available. And then to even top that, 
we have a business model that is charging as a service purely. So you only, it's only pay per use model. So you say it's um, X cents per kilowatt hour and anything is included. And that only becomes possible because we can use the, the rich uh, financial instruments that are out there because of its mobile nature. Hmm, super interesting. So if if tomorrow, for whatever reason, I'm going to the you know German Alps or you know uh, or Switzerland, and there is a Mi Energy charging station at the end user, I can just go there with my credit card yes. and use it. Yes, you can use hmm. your charging card, your credit card, whatever your PayPal. If you scan the QR, um, anything is possible. Since we are usually um, our sort of contractors or the companies we have contracts with, they are having certain ideas on how to run it. So they are then saying, okay, this is a public charging station. People should pay with credit cards. People should only pay with charging cards. It's their call. We are then okay. um, just here, the service provider and not the owner of the charging station. Super interesting. And, and for, for a market like, for example, France or, or Northern Italy, you said the B2C model will will break even in what two two to five years something like that when we will reach yes. what twenty percent market share of EV. Yes, roughly that. Okay. I mean, that I mean there obviously there are prime locations that can break even earlier if you look at highway locations, but if you look at more let's say if you rural areas, um, industrial sites, I mean, those locations, they will not break even before, before in five, six years. Mm, super interesting. And, and you, and you didn't try to steal the, the, the gas station model, you know, putting like a supermarket on, you know, attracting people with gas and then selling them goodies and stuff like that. <laughs> so this is, I mean, for us, since we're a young company and young companies usually have financial constraints, um, we're not capable of setting up a charging network on our own. Um, mm. So this is why we, let's say, went for the B2B model. But if, uh, let's say, if tomorrow I'll just find a treasure chest with millions of dollars, I would then say, okay, why not save the prime spots for ourselves? Because mm. um, the major differentiator is currently charging stations are built in locations where it's cheap. It's not where the demand really is. Ideally, those two things match. So there is demand and it's cheap to build. But those prime locations, they're saved by the major corporations. We're the only alternative to this model because we don't need a grid connection. So we don't need the cheap infrastructure lying around. But you can say, I have a high demand here. I need X chargers. And this is, the, this is where my energy goes. Uh, and so also in the future, um, because let's say the market is not really regulated or has monopoly structures, uh, local monopoly structures, this could also be a good counterbalance um, to that model. And we see that there is enough room for us to even um, set up a public charging network. Super interesting. So, so tomorrow, if listeners want to do something for me energy, what can they do? Can they, you know, talk about, you know, or ask their fleet uh, companies or, you know, their companies to invest or? Yes, so, so there are several things. In general, it's about spreading awareness that there is an alternative to grid-bound infrastructure. That it's, in some cases, 
more sensible to use off-grid decentralized energy systems than extending the power grid, uh, because also from a carbon footprint, um, this could be more sensible. And then the second thing is, yeah, obviously we, we look forward to international expansion and always finding new customers. Um, so if you're located, we just signed the first contract in France, um, the first contract in Spain and the UK. So those are countries we're currently expanding to. So uh, all you, to you out there, international listeners, um, feel free to reach out. Uh, we are always looking forward to expanding our network because for us, it's all about economies of scale. Um, we, the more stations we have in the field, the cheaper we'll get. Uh, and this is what um, we aim to achieve. And that's why I guess this is the best thing you can do is talk about it. And maybe you'll find someone interested in your network that may find a good use for such an off-grid charger. Awesome. And if, if I may just play the, the devil advocate. So at the end of the life cycle of your charging station, do you take them back and recycle them? Yes, this is also, I mean, we're a European company and in Europe, in Europe there is the ROHS um, legislation, which means that manufacturers of electric components have to take them back. And the good thing is we designed them and we only bought um, components that also fall under this legislation. So there is the possibility to recycle. It's mainly metal parts. So metal is easy to recycle and we can um, reuse or refeed um, the economy with the scrap materials. So this is um, something we, we also factored in from the beginning. Awesome, super interesting. One, one broader question is at Pricing for the Planet, we really believe that you know, education will really change the world. And if we want to be more sustainable, we need to invest in education. Do you have any recommendations about, you know, learning platforms or courses or you know, anything to learn to be more sustainable? Yeah. So, I mean, sustainability is, I guess, a topic that is not only present in the media, but you, in order to really have an understanding of what everybody's talking about, you have to get a few background checks. I mean, you're doing a great job uh, with Pricing for the Planet. I mean, you have a good platform out there. I checked it out. Um, so please check it out out there. Uh, the other one or the last course I took apart from um, the, the platform was uh, on Coursera. Uh, there, my last quiz was how to measure the impact on SDGs. This is something I can highly recommend um, because everybody's talking about SDGs but how do we, as an international framework, measure the impact? This is important, which is then also the foundation of how the European legislation is laid out. How are carbon savings calculated? Um, and this is something where I think which is valuable to all those business people out there that are maybe in reporting finances um, to know, okay, is what I'm doing, how is the saving calculated? How can I measure my impact? Because after all, it's it's easier to understand or have a KPI um, that says, okay, I'm doing X reductions or by X percent uh, reducing my footprint, then talking about, okay, I'm doing that measure here, that measure there, that measure there. It's all about simplicity in the end for us humans. And so I can highly recommend um, to to get that framework in your head and think about like the international community does. 
Awesome, super clear. And and we, we got that question a lot, but any recommendation to anyone willing to start a sustainability-related professional move? Yes. So I guess since I also have that in amongst my good friends, um, always those questions. And usually in the beginning, they, start, they ask themselves, do I want to start in a big corporation or do I want to start in a startup? And there are several things to consider because for me, let's say the, the metaphor would be it's either turning a big wheel slowly or a small wheel fast. The big wheel being the big corporation, obviously. And yes, there's always a question of job security versus idealism um, because that's something you find in large corporation. There's always the how, what, what's your urge to create something new versus to let's say have process innovations, um, so smaller innovations. And you should be honest with yourself because there is no right and wrong, but there is something that you should, I mean, you should factor in on what you feel comfortable with because you can do good in any, in any job, but you should be happy in the end and make it also a sustainable job choice. So. For me, it was always the urge um, to start something new, to walk paths that haven't been walked before. So this was really a strong motivation for me. So that's why I knew also working at a big corporation where I knew this would not be the right place. But for anyone, this is an individual decision. So um, please feel free to follow your own emotions and um, your own character on this. Perfect. And, and last question, and I think I got this one, this one during, you know, an interview, or I don't remember where I got, but I love this question. And it's almost like a philo philosophical question. Like, what is the one thing that most people think they are right about, but in reality, they are mistaken? Ooh. Um, this is a hard one. I mean, let's say if I look at my... The, the conversations I had over Christmas um, to all you recorders, it's, it's January. So coming back from Christmas holidays where you see the, let's say the family that you're not really close to, but once a year you see them and they hold really different political views. It's, I guess about, we discuss a lot about carbon footprint of things, putting things in a dimension and the major let's say most of the world's problems would be solved if we stop eating meat, stop using concrete for construction, and then don't use cars anymore or trucks, anything fossil-based. So those are the major three, um, let's say, factors for carbon emissions worldwide. And priv especially privileged people like me, uh, coming from being white German and um, also coming from a middle-class family, it is really privileged worldwide. We have a huge carbon footprint um, because on Christmas, everybody eats their turkey or anything that else. Uh, you drive to 200, 300 kilometers to see your family. Um, you have gas-based heating. Um, usually everybody, I mean, two people living in a huge house this is the sort of emissions nobody thinks about, but that are not sustainable. So yes, it's all about putting things in perspective for me. 
and starting seeing that you don't have to change anything. I mean, it's, it's not really your fault, but putting things into perspective. Um, this is something that you start with a whataboutism and start with just putting things in perspective and don't feel offended if someone tells you that we can all do something to lower our carbon footprint um, and we can start today. Awesome. Alex, thank you so much. Maybe last thing for the listeners, if they want to follow Me Energy, where can they go on LinkedIn or on your website? Yes, um, sure. So we are present on LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, feel free to follow us. Um, and we're, yes, we always try to post um, interesting news. There's also a lot of media coverage, especially in Germany. So um, if you're Germany-based, then just watch out on all the electric mobility news portals. And um, yes, and still, there is a newsletter you can sign up for. So we're hoping to, let's say, reach out or uh, to get in contact with a few of you. And I'm looking forward to the exchange. Thank you so much. Perfect. And, and likewise, if you want to continue this journey with us, you can uh, actually go on www.pricingfortheplanet.com. We have a free newsletter as well when, in which we are talking about those kind of podcasts and other ways to mix business and sustainability. So please go there. You can also follow us on LinkedIn. And last but not least, a huge thank you for Alex. A huge thank you for the listeners. Thanks for your interest and be well.